Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Karen Eber is the penultimate expert on the art and the power of story. In her career, she has held such job titles as head of culture, chief learning officer, and head of leadership development for some of the world's biggest companies. Today, she hosts and is the head of the Eber Leadership Group, which helps companies change their culture, improve their entire development process, all one story at a time. Karen, welcome to the Storyteller Microphone. Thank you for having me. I am so honored to have you on the show because most of our listeners are either authors or great lovers of story. And I want to start our session today with maybe a little story about you. Could you talk to us about eating crayons? Yeah, I have two different color eyes. I have a brown eye and a green eye. And when you have something that is physically different about yourself and people notice it, it is always a little odd. I can tell the exact moment when someone notices my eye color because I see their eyes move back and forth between mine, almost like their brain is trying to decide, do we look at the brown eye or the green eye or the brown eye or the green eye? And as soon as that starts, I brace myself because I know what is coming. It is this litany of questions of, did you know you have two different color eyes? And what color eyes does your mom have? Um, do you see the same colors out of each eye? Or do, do your eyes give you special powers? And this thing that I love about myself becomes this burden because now I'm weird and people are calling their friends over and there's 10 faces like trying to get in mine and, and see my eyes. And I started to feel depleted and annoyed. So I decided to tell a story about it. And the next time it happened and someone did the, how did that happen? I said, well, I was born with brown eyes and about the age of four, I was in my room coloring one night. And you know that box of crayons that we all had that you throw them into, like the broken ones and the peeled ones and the perfect ones. Well, I reached into that and I took out a green crayon and it didn't really smell like anything, but I tasted it and had a really interesting texture and I liked it. So I ate it. And I ate another and another until every green crayon in the box was gone. And the next day I woke up and my eye was green. And then I would be quiet. And people would always like look and, and their mind is telling them, there is no way this is true. But she said it so convincingly, like now I'm really not sure. And I would let them off the hook and say that, of course, no, I didn't have my eyes change colors because of crayons. But this amazing shift happened because I went from feeling like this odd thing on display to having a meaningful connection because the energy shifted and people realized, I asked her if she saw the same colors out of each eye. And this story has stuck with people for decades. I have had people tell me 20 years later, they, they remember my eyes when they see crayons. And so I recognize like, this isn't just something that we can use and, and work. It's such a great way in life to create connection and shift energy. And it's the lead story in your fabulous new release, the perfect story, and it's got a crayon on the cover. And it does, it engages us right away. And there's, there. this is 
a big deal, right? Storytelling. You have led companies with over 90,000 people roughly underneath your purview. Um, your TED Talk has been listened to over 2 million times. There's a real science to storytelling, not just the thing that we all may feel around the campfire or on our grandparents' lap. What's that science about? Yeah, it's not enough to tell a story the way you tell one is going to make a difference in the experience. And so there is the the understood science and new science. The understood science that many people know is that as you tell a story and you engage senses, you're going to get your brain lighting up much more dynamically than if you're just talking at someone or sharing data. Um, there's even this term neural coupling where your brain lights up in the same activity as the person telling the story. It's like you get this artificial reality experience. And all of that is super cool and fascinating, including um, neurochemicals are released. If you hear a story that is really compelling and you feel like the person is being genuine and authentic, you feel empathy towards them and you actually start to get this increase of oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. And it's like your brain is saying, this person feels safe to be around. And so this is why maybe you have a, a conversation with a colleague and you learn more about them and you come away feeling a little bit closer to them or feeling a bond with them. It's because you've gone through a neurological shift. And so all of that is fascinating. But if you're telling a story, it doesn't really help you tell one. And so there's some new science that gets into the way your brain can respond to information and how you can leverage that when you're telling stories to make someone actually respond better to your stories. So what I was intrigued by in reading the book are you give wonderful examples. There's some how-tos, there's uh, wonderful essays by others within your book. And you also cite an ad that I'm sure many of our listeners will remember, and it's the famous Clydesdale adopts the puppy ad. Yeah. And I was struck, I think that was 10, 15 years ago. I think it was 2015. It was a commercial that came out for the Super Bowl. Yes, Budweiser often did in the U.S. They have these commercials where a puppy runs across a field into a barn, screeches to a halt in front of a stall, meets a Clydesdale. And it is this heartwarming story that everybody that year remembered, voted their favorite. I think it was even nominated for an Emmy. But interestingly enough, it was a failure. Even though everyone loved it, it was not a compelling enough story for our brains. What happened when people unknowingly even saw this puppy run to the Clydesdale, our brains subconsciously were like, ah, I know what this is. Puppy and Clydesdale, they're going to be friends. They're going to somehow get separated. They're going to have to come back together. And our brains take this as a moment of like, I know where this is going. I'm just going to kind of tune out a little bit. And so while people loved it and it was a feel good story, it didn't achieve the most desired outcome for a Super Bowl commercial, which is sales. And it is a great example that it's not enough to tell a story the way you tell one can make a big difference in it. So that's a very, very important point, because in your book, you talk about how there are some key factors of good storytelling, character, conflict, connection, but outcome is really critical. Will you talk more about that? When we communicate, there's usually something we want. We want people to get an idea, to um, be inspired, be motivated, try something different. And the same is true for stories. 
there is something that we want people to know, feel, do, experience differently as a result of the story. And to be able to achieve that, you've got to start there and get really clear on what is it you want your audience to come away with. Because until you do that, you're never going to stick the landing on your story. And so thinking through what is it that I want this experience to be for the audience makes a big difference. In education, we call that starting with the end in mind. And I had never put those things together until I started reading your book. You also talk about for storytellers, whether it's in the corporate world or a job interview or quite honestly for a eulogy or a wedding toast, you want them to start with their audience. Why is that so important? Yeah, it's a piece of storytelling that seems a little weird. Stories start with your audience and not with the idea of the story because you're going to tell it differently to every audience. So just like if you're interviewing at three different companies, you might share your story differently based on the roles in the companies. Something similar happens when we tell a story. The group we're telling it to is important for us to center on. I think of it this way, when uh, a, a loved one in our extended family asks us what we do for a living, what, about our jobs, and they're not in our field at all, we tell a really simplified version of that story. But if we're at a networking event and it's in our industry and it's people that we know and they ask us, we'll get right into it and tell a really different version. And it's because the audience is different and we're making the call that maybe Aunt Irene doesn't need to have the really heavy version, we're going to simplify it. Something similar happens when we tell stories. You want to get clear on who is that that you're telling this to? What is their mindset today? What might be an obstacle in those things that you want them to know, think, feel, or do differently? Because that allows for you to think about how to tell the story and how to adapt it to each audience. Let's go back now to the other elements that you talk about, character, conflict, and connection. So stories have characters in them, and we want these characters to be relatable. They don't have to be likable, but we want to understand why are they doing what they're doing. Because when that feels relatable, we can see ourselves in the story or think of other people that have experienced it. And then we're able to follow along and we're there. When they're not believable, when we don't understand why they're doing, we just why they're doing what they're doing, we tune out. So characters are a big piece of the stories because often that's where the conflict is, which is the second one. Conflict is the heart of your story. When you run out of conflict, you run out of story. And conflict is this fuel of what is that tension? What is that thing that we're going to be exploring in the story and that we're trying to seek some resolution on? And conflict can be between two people. It could be between a person and an event. Um, it could be between a person and their own values, but that is the meat of like what is happening in this and how do we first understand these characters and feel like they're relatable and then get to explore the conflict through them. And then the last one I think was connection, right? So connection, we want to be able to feel like we're right there in the story. We want you to tell it so that we are breathing the air and feeling the emotions of it or experiencing what it might be like. We can picture it in our minds. And so the more we're able to paint that image and have the audience feel like they are there, even if they've never experienced it, they get that artificial reality. And they also start to put this in their long-term memory. The brain almost says this is an experience that we've had. And next time we encounter something like this, we're going to have an idea of what we can explore, what we could try. And so the more vivid that is, the easier it is to have the audience play along in their mind.
so there is a formula to good storytelling, but none of your stories are formulaic. How do you keep them fresh? I like to give people the ingredients and then encourage you to cook whatever cuisine you want. Go down any international flavor that you want, but you have the pieces. You know, some of the challenges in, in storytelling approaches today is that there are models given something like maybe the, the hero's journey, which is a fantastic model for movies where Star Wars movies are built on this. It's a very specific type of story that unfolds the conflict and things happening, but it's the same type of story over and over. And instead of telling people, here is the specific story formula format you have to use, I instead give you, here are the pieces, and now play with the order. Play with the different things. Lean into the, the conflict here. Bring in more, um, more of the senses so we feel it. And that keeps stories fresh. You're not just telling one type of story over and over. You're telling the story that's right for that outcome, and you get to play and see what can be meaningful. And in your work, you are not a writing coach. You are a coach uh, partner with major, major worldwide corporations. So why is storytelling important there? I think of storytelling as the way to build understanding in someone's mind. So if you are interviewing for a job and you're using storytelling, you're helping the interviewer understand who you are and what they would do with you versus just sharing information where it's left up to them to figure it out. If you're a leader in a company and you are using storytelling, you are building understanding in your employees' minds. So whether it is to talk about what the best leaders do or what a great team did or maybe why you're undergoing a change and you can't stay where you are, it's just a much more dynamic way to communicate. You know, attention is the most precious thing that people give us. Yet so often we squander that by droning on or going through row and row of data that isn't dynamic or memorable. I was going to go there for data in a moment because, you know, in education, in so many areas, we have to be data driven. How many products did we sell? How many people did we engage, et cetera? But storytelling can get to that heart of data in ways that slide after slide or report after report cannot, correct? Correct. Data doesn't speak for itself as much as we love to think that it does. So if I put up an ink blot and I ask 10 people what they saw, there would be 10 different answers. Some might see a bunny or a rabbit or a skeleton. And it's because our brains are trying to make assumptions and predictions. So we're each going to look at that ink blot and subconsciously our brain is going through our long-term memory saying, what, what is this? Does this look like something we know? Is it related to something we know? What's our best guess? And we're going to have different answers because we all have different experiences. Same exact thing is happening when we're putting up a chart of data. We are making sense of it, but we're making sense of it in different ways and don't even realize we're not in the same conversation. So then you hear these debates about the quality of data or what it means, and there's too much individual interpretation. Telling the story of it helps make sure everyone gets to that same starting line of understanding to then have a conversation or debate or disagreement versus being in a place where we think that the data is speaking for itself and really we've just added more confusion. So leaders can build good culture by telling stories, which also better communicates the data, which builds better engagement. So productivity and everything goes in the direction that it should. I feel like it is probably the strongest leadership skill that you need to practice. 
because it's not only going to make your communications extend beyond you. And even when you're not there as a leader, it's going to create trust in your employees. They're going to experience these neurochemical shifts and feel trust towards you. They're going to have a stronger understanding or ability to have different types of discussions because everyone is coming to the same starting line to tee things up. It's not this soft skill. It's a way to build understanding in minds and have a different type of discussion. And for those people who are nervous about um, telling stories or try to figure out where do I even find a story or someone like myself who's between novels, you have a chapter in your book called A Toolkit to Endless Story Ideas. And quite honestly, that was the chapter I read first and then I went back and started reading the rest of it. So let's talk about how do we find these endless ideas, whether we're a corporate leader or an author. It is creating a habit and a location. So identify a notebook, an app, a spreadsheet, whatever your jam is for capturing ideas and set that up because you want to have a dedicated place that you can drop ideas into when you get them. You're going to start going through your personal life and think of um, think of firsts, first concerts, you know, first dates. Um, start thinking about what um, maybe something you should have gotten rid of, but you just can't. You want to start thinking of these different moments that you've experienced because in those moments are these ideas and stories. So you're going to start to build a list with these. You're going to go to your professional experiences and think of things, maybe, you know, your best day, your worst day, someone you look up to. As you move through the world and you find things that intrigue you, you want to jot them down. Maybe it's a podcast episode. Maybe it's a documentary you watch or an article you read. Notice when you feel interest towards something and write it down. You're not worrying about when you're going to use it, how you're going to use it, what that actual story is. Write down enough so that you can scan the list when you have an audience, when you have an opportunity to tell a story and ask yourself, which one of these will help me do what I want for my audience? Sometimes nothing on the list will work, but the very act of scanning the list ends up prompting the idea that you need. Having a dedicated place for it lets you focus on thinking of more versus trying to remember them. You also talked about the importance of having a muse. And I know when I finished my last novel, I did have someone who was just hungry for chapters who said, oh, no, this isn't, you have to write more, you have to do this. And I found the power of a muse powerful, for lack of a better word. How do people find a muse? Notice someone that when you leave the conversation, you come with more energy and ideas than when you started it. For me, it often looks like someone in the business world where we're talking and I hear them struggling with something. And then when we get off the phone, I realize if they're struggling with this, 27 other people are as well. So let me start there. Notice that where someone just serves as a fountain of inspiration for you and you come away with just countless ideas that are going to help you move forward. Well, you certainly have been that for me through your book, The Perfect Story. I'd like to close with you have such a diverse career. You're doing so many things globally. What's the favorite part of what you're doing right now? When I get to help someone understand what they can do and create runway for them to do it, that is a delight because we all have this amazing potential and opportunity, but often not the right circumstances. So getting all that lined up and then giving them space and stepping back and watching them go is so fun. It's fabulous. I hope all of our listeners enjoyed our time with Karen Ebert, the 
an ultimate storyteller. Listen to her TED Talk. Two million other people and myself have done it. Get her new book, The Perfect Story. And Karen, thanks for being a guest here on The Storytellers. Thank you for having me. This has been a copyrighted episode of the, of the Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.